the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we're grateful. You've been very good to each of us. We seek ways to demonstrate it to others that they would enjoy the same benefit of faith. We'd ask that we would be enjoying the benefit of this faith. Open the word to us this morning in your son's name. Amen. I was thinking about a very popular passage a couple days ago, and I don't know if it ever strikes you, but things strike you about it that I've never thought about this before that way. All right? So that's what sort of prompted this out of uh, 1 John 2. It's the passage right at the end on the right-hand side, the do not love the world or the things in the world. We'll get to that, but I wanted to, as I went toward it, I, I, I needed to express at least what John is about regarding this, this passage. So I went back to the beginning of the book, John, 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we saw it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing this that our joy may be complete. Too often in circumstances that people are facing complex circumstances, whether it's ones of their religion or their relationships or whatever it is, they don't know what they're doing. That's the problem. Not, they don't know what they're trying to arrive at. They just know it's not feeling good, things are chaotic, things are calamitous, people aren't acting right, and they don't even know what to target. What am I doing when I'm supposed to be this, a parent? What am I doing when I'm supposed to be a Christian? Because after 2,000 years, an awful lot of representation has been given us about what Christians are supposed to be doing. And when we ask ourselves, what are we supposed to be doing? Because now that we have the joy of Facebook, a direct feed of God's inspiration of other Christians into our lives telling us what we're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be all about this problem, or you're supposed to be all about that problem. I was talking to a gentleman a few years ago who had a strong heart of service for a particular class of people, ex-cons, and, uh, and in the conversation, he had asked for it because he wanted to meet me, and he proceeded to tell me that I wasn't Worth, I, I wasn't doing what I ought to be doing because I wasn't doing what he was doing. Well, that's something. We all too often, and he was doing a good thing. He's doing a good thing. And too often, you know, someone within an abortion ministry or they're, they're in a uh, sex trade ministry or they're in an uh, evangelistic ministry or they're in a teaching ministry, an apologetic ministry, everyone thinks their ministry is the what everybody should really be involved in. Oh, I think as we think about that, even the people who think that, as they think about it, they go, oh, yeah, that's probably not right. The body does have different parts. 
what is it we're really, as ultimately as a church, any church, this one, the rest of the believers in town, what are we doing? What do the apostles suggest we ought to be doing? And they says, John, the apostle, right here, says, look, from the beginning, what we saw, what we looked upon, what we touched, God made something manifest, that means available to be seen and touched. God made something tangible in our world. We saw it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That's what we have been doing. Making the eternal life manifest to you because we witnessed it. The reason they're telling us is so that we would have it as well. That you would may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, if we stop to say, what do the apostles think? When he's saying the we, he's talking about the apostolic band, the people that traveled with Christ, watched him crucified, witnessed him raised. And we told you about that so that you would have fellowship with us in that And so if you stop and say, this is what the apostles thought we should be shooting at. Fellowship with them in their witness of what Jesus Christ was and did. <coughs> and we're writing this, that our joy may be complete. So this book that we're looking at, and in the phrase, I am writing to you, my brethren, I am writing to you because, I am writing this because... John is very clear that, he's, that you know why this letter is coming at you. A little later, I think in chapter 5, it says, uh, uh, writing these things to you that believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is central to, the, the first John is central to your acknowledgement of whether you've hit the markers for what you should measure about you. Very easy for us to be making the markers for other people, and sometimes you it just suggests itself. That's a I had a great experience this week, sitting out on the porch, you know, like I do, and American family wanders around the corner, mother, father, new baby on chest, parents, older, older gentleman, starts staring at the house. Waves at me, I wave at him. He comes closer, his parent, family's obviously embarrassed because he's out of control. And he comes wandering up to the front porch and they're just sort of dragging behind him. And so we greet each other, he greets me. And I said, do you want to come in? He said, yeah. <laughs> and the wife is just, you know, apologizing and the, the son is apologizing. and. Everybody's apologizing, and he's just in his moment. Just gave him a tour. They uh, went away, thrilled. We learned all sorts of things. Um, she had gone to law school with the daughter, had gone to law school with uh, Doug Waterman. Uh, Doug and Miranda used to go, go here. Uh, she dropped out of law school. Her husband 
teaches at the Naval ROTC. He graduated from the Naval Academy in 08. And I said, my father graduated. We grew up in Annapolis, blah, blah, blah. All sorts of connections started to be made. They had met Rachel on the street when the baby was two weeks old and Rachel just had her baby and, and they had met the Merkels on the street and they had told her about Jim Wilson and Jim Wilson and then I said well she's my daughter-in-law she's my niece and he's my dad she didn't know anything of that you know and so it was got to be really weird they left the parents came back the next night just got lost in the neighborhood trying to find the house came back I was on the porch again and I said you guys are Christians aren't you they said, yeah, we are. They're from Georgia. Go to Evangelical Presbyterian Church there. We had great fellowship. But you could, that's a long story short, basically, a long story long. There's a, there's something we're about that we're trying to recognize in ourselves and build in ourselves and recognize in others that our joy may be complete. We want to be about the same thing. We want to have Christians know that what Christians are primarily doing is this. What are Christians primarily doing? He says, we, we, we want to tell you stuff because we want to tell you what this life is in Christ. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Oh, wouldn't it be handy if God would give us messages? You ever think that... Uh, I'm not a determinist, okay? But as a joke with my determinist friends, I say, you know, fortune cookies, you really ought to believe them. Because God intended you to get that fortune from before the foundation of the world. You might want to consider it. Well, wouldn't it be nice if little notes would drop into your life from God Almighty? It would tell you things like, hey, this is what I want you to be doing right now. Okay, A prophet, a private prophet. You could go and get, get the word for the day. We're not getting that necessarily, but you know, it says, if, we, if we sat back and said, what are we supposed to be doing as a church? What am I supposed to be doing as a believer? What is, what's this all about? Oh, this is the message. We heard from him. He was the manifestation of God on earth. He told us. We saw it happen. We want to tell you because we want you to share in that same thing. And we proclaim to you. Okay. Take notes. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him. While we walk in darkness. We lie. And do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light. As he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. This is what joins us. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So it's a, it's a cleansing of grace. But the point is light. The point is no darkness. The point is if I got darkness, and too many, too many Christians like a Christianity of victimization, you know, the Christianity where Tim and, and Josh and I were talking during the break about brokenness. I know you're broken. Quit it. The Lord is here to heal us. We are to be made light, not an embarrassing friend for him because we're wandering around 
you know, I'm still struggling with math, but Jesus, I really love Jesus. No, you're not struggling with math and you really love Jesus. You really love math. Because it really isn't Christianity. You, I, I, we mentioned this phrase, the live, laugh, love, kind of nonsense, faith, hope, love. Live, laugh, love, uh, buy it at Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know if they need three words and everything. Bed, bath, and beyond, live, laugh, love. And you sort of picture, and I don't mean to be mean to you ladies, but you sort of picture a middle-aged woman, a little bit too into Tuscany, wanting a cut metal sign on her wall that says live, laugh, love, or calligraphy over the toilet. Christians, it's light, love, and quit sinning. Okay? It doesn't, doesn't trip off the tongue quite as well, now does it? Light, love, and knock it off. Because we're about light. It's not a feel-good word. It's not just something that you soften the focus in the photo for the poster. You're, you're trying to say, God is light, there's no darkness. <coughs> and we want to, if we have fellowship with him, there can't be any of that thing called darkness. I have to be cleansed of my sins, that means forgiven, confessed, and doing good. I skipped over a few verses because I wanted to, this was all the preface sort of I wanted to have in your mind before we land in chapter 2, verse 15. Skipping a number of verses, he goes, my little children, I'm writing this to you, so that you may not sin. Oh, yeah. Light, love, don't sin. Light, love, knock it off. I'm writing this that we don't sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. A wonderful passage about the grace of God to forgive you because the point is, you can't be in a state of sin to have fellowship with God. And he is the expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Skipping a number of verses later, seven verses later, he who says he's in the light and hates his brother. Give some traction now. Because before it was light, darkness, calligraphy, we could do something with this, everyone would feel good. God is light. You ever see that one? God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. In Tuscany. There's, we're, not a, we're not a romance generating faith. We're, we're um, about holiness. Because our God is holy and he made the world to be a certain thing and then, and then something bad happened and we started all sinning and he's calling us back to that holiness of his creation. And he's doing it wonderfully by dying for us, doing it wonderfully by grace. He's not doing it wonderfully by the law. It's not a bunch of rules that's going to make you holy. But you better have the target goal be holiness. It's not that you get to say, if I don't go by the law, I don't get to be about holiness. No, we still hold holiness out there. And we say, it's the grace of God, but it will be holiness. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness still. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and in, 
And in it, there is no cause for stumbling. Now, I want you to be thinking about, uh, we were talking about this uh, with uh, my daughter-in-law and son the other night at their place before they left for California, and about the nature of, uh, I don't believe in Christian philosophy because it's fun. It is fun. I don't believe in social philosophy because it's somehow the, the, the smarty pants club. I believe in Christian philosophy because getting it right will help you help you do and live and be the thing you need to be because it will it will structure your your thoughts when the new problem comes into your life. So I have to stop and say if I started to find this by light and darkness and God is light and in him is no darkness, and that's the point of Christianity, was that's what we saw in Jesus Christ when he was manifest to us, and that's what we're declaring to you, and we're declaring it in terms of sin and righteousness, and confession and grace, that kind of, that kind of righteousness. But it's going to come down to loving your brother or not. But if, if you're not in the light... If you have done this thing called darkness, there is a cause for stumbling. But he who hates his brother, verse 11, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Have you ever thought, this week is not going well? Everything seems to be going to Hades in a handbasket. Check the darkness. Not because bad things happen. Bad things happen to Christians all the time. But we're talking about self-implemented bad things. We don't know where we're going because we don't know what we serve. We have to consciously choose to serve the living God who is light. And in him is no darkness. So I have to have that as a defining principle. That I get up in the morning, putting my pants on, I should be going, you know, in my God, there is no darkness. Get those pants on. Because you want to know where you're going. You want to know what you should be thinking about. You want to know what you should measure. Not whether the church would approve. That's not one of the things that you should be caring about. I mean... The, the, the range of theological viewpoints in this room, small though the attendance may be, were probably massive. And the, probably the personal standards. I don't want to ask you what your personal standards are. But we're, our approval is not what we're living to. We're trying to live to our God. We want fellowship with him. If we all seek fellowship with God in that light, then our fellowship with one another will be joyful and complete. But that's what you want. Otherwise, if we don't bother with the God of light, and we try to create a fellowship, oh, we'll try to create it on agreeing with each other. I'll jot out a statement of faith, and I'll tell you what the right view of eschatology is going to be, and if you don't believe it, you might want to go somewhere else. Because we're trying to get that fellowship. Let's all check ourselves in the light whether or not we love our brother or whether we hate our brother. And if we don't want problems in this body of believers where, you know, you see a train wreck of lives, we don't want problems. We need to know where we're going. 
The lights have to be on. He says in verse 12, I want you to know that this is a Christian audience he's writing to. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. It's a Christian encouraged good things have happened to you. You've come into the light but you need to know this message. I'm writing it to you, these sorts of people. This is not an evangelistic text. These are people who have overcome. These are people who are forgiven. But too often, and you've witnessed it, people that are dear Christian friends of yours, maybe you've even struggled with it yourself, um, don't know where to begin and wonder why things went sideways. So when we get to the famous passage, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but as of the world. And the world passes away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The reason I'm thinking, I was thinking of this passage this morning, it's one of my favorite passages, but it's one of those passages I have heard taught on, I've been a Christian, how old am I? 54 years I've been a Christian. I'm 62. And for, I, admittedly, first number of years, I wasn't paying attention in church. Okay, it was eight, for heaven's sake. Trying to avoid thinking about what the pastor was saying. But eventually I started thinking. I think in those early teen years, I started thinking about what I was hearing. And this is one of the first things I can remember hearing about. Someone who preached a sermon about... The, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and tied it in with the temptation of Eve and the temptation of Christ. Okay? I don't know if the Bible wants those things put together, but I can remember that. I can remember that interpretation. And so that always sticks in my mind. I can't, even if I don't entirely agree with it, I, I'm, I can't dodge it. And then, lo and behold, I started thinking on my own, and I saw something in the text that, of course, is true, because I saw it. And the problem is, it was very hard for me to look at the passage and not see that. Once I had concluded this is what it said, I think it still says that. But it's hard for me to see the parts of the passage that are in between the point I make. Because it tells me, and you've probably heard me say this, it tells us that we're not to love the world or the things in the world. And then it lists the things in the world that are plain. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Does it ever bother you that I go, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? 
Does that bother you? Because I, I can't reach my pinky with my thumb. Okay, these are little disabilities. So I can't do that without help. So it's easy to go one, two, three. Got it. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Then people go, you should not be about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Well, that just eliminated life, didn't it? Because, my gosh, you can't even think about how good a cheeseburger tastes. It's lust of the flesh. I mean, it is. French fries, onion ring. <coughs> Women. I hear women are attractive. Things that are desirable. Can't do it. People operate as if the things in the world that are plain, because my translation uses the word lust. And I remember looking it up and going, hold it, no, it's the word desire. That they chose the negative word lust. Like, like urge. And people don't even know what the lust of the eyes is. As they always think, I always heard coveting. You're like looking at Amazon.com too much. And the pride of life, because pride is bad. People centered on and I said, no. I was told what was forbidden is that I may not love the world, and I may not love the things in the world. Okay? I may not love the world, and I may not love the things in the world. And then it tells you, if you love the world, you don't love the Father. I mean, if you thought it was just the presence of the desire of the flesh, the presence of the desire of the eyes, and the presence of the pride of life, one, you'd be falling all over yourself as a Pharisee to get those things out of your life, because you'd be saying, I can't be a Christian without this complete ascetic, you know, out in the wilderness, burning your hand over a candle, standing up to your neck in cold water, whatever it is, to prove to yourself that none of these urges are touching you. No ambition, because what are these urges? There's, you know, urge, fleshly urge. There is, I think, art. I think that's what be, be, uh, the eyes is. Beauty. Um, and there's ambition. But he is saying something about him. He said, well, that's been Evan's constant response. But I wanted to see to today, because I was thinking about if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. Not so much that I would explain away the overreaction to be against desire. Because if, if you're an overreaction, when it tells uh, you know, people to get married because they desire, it's better to marry than to burn. It's basically saying there's paths that this desire of the flesh should go on. The things you eat, you should receive with thanksgiving. The urge of of being a foodie. So we're, we're not condemning the things, we're condemning the love of the things. But we want to stop and say, how can I track that into my life? If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Now, I was a graphic designer for 25 years. Um, I'm into uh, we were talking to a car salesman this week. Don't do it unless you have to. And we kind of have to, but uh, we're not done yet. But 
I was describing my concern about the color of Toyota um, Highlanders. And uh, they looked at me oddly, because he was just on in his sales mode, and he was just saying the thing a salesman says next. And he wasn't processing why I felt that green was insufficient. And he couldn't understand. He was not only was he a car smell salesman, he was a colorblind car salesman. <laughs> he admitted that. He could not tell the difference between most of the cars. So I care. I care about, that's why we didn't leave the trim in this church pink. You remember that. Okay. These things are important in our lives. And I'm not trying to say, let's make room for the things that we've made important. But we want to know what it is we're trying to do. What is it the apostle said we should be about? And what is the path we should take to be about that? If it is the light of God and not being in darkness, and if we're stumbling through life because of darkness, we want to avoid that. We want to have the light possible. And the question is, I need to view the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life in a certain way. It says, I may not love these things. But what does that even mean? I may not love them. You know, when I take sermon requests somewhere here, and I write these things down, not sermon requests, prayer requests, I'll put little doodles and draw little arrows and... and, uh, uh, try to make the, 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 the request prettier. Just for my sake. Is, uh, it, we know that we have these urges. We know that they sit on us, and unless we become ascetic, we want to know what is this do not love the world and do not love the things in the world. First off, you have to recognize at the end of verse 16, it's not of the Father, it is of the world. And that just sounds bad. Not only does the word lust sound bad, but when it says it's not of the Father, it's of the world. You do remember the creation, right? All things that were made were made through him. He made all things to be received with thanksgiving. It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. All these things were made by him. There's no question in Christian principles there. We don't want to stop and say, when they're not of the Father, what does that make it? It makes it autonomous. He made the creation wholly other. It is its own thing. And to whatever degree it's making decisions, it's making its own decisions. Like he made you. You are wholly other than God. And you have this freedom to decide what you're doing because you're wholly other. When we realize that the world is wholly other from God, the creator who made it, I can't just claim because he made it, I get to do anything that urge or those things would want. Pride of life is a natural urge. The the desire of the eyes is a natural urge. The desire of the flesh is a natural urge. All created by God. I can't just claim because they were made by God I get to do whatever they suggest. Because I was told I can't. 
Because this light and darkness really matters. One of the problems is, first you have to say, it is wholly other. That I can't claim that the in, inclinations, God, man was, you're all in the image of God, right? You've made the image of God? So consequently, I should believe everything you tell me. Or any opinion you hold. You're far more in the image of God than nature is. Why wouldn't I believe you? Well, because we're other. We're actually autonomous. Not only are we autonomous, verse 17, and the world passes away, and the lust of it. Oh, finitude, futility, the end. It's all decaying. It's falling apart. It's not what you want to... Okay, first off, I need to know that I can't love this thing. This thing is other. And this thing is finite. Those are the reasons given to me that I may not love it. Is because it is other and it is finite. And consequently, it leads me to be doing something other than what God has said. Because when it is other, anything it would tell me <coughs> isn't a revelation of God. If uh, Tristan says to me something about some opinion he holds, I can't see him as just as the, the pantheistic expression of the mind of God telling me through the magic what God thinks. Neither any of my desires or neither any of the other autonomous things. It is not a straight shot from the Father. We want to please the Father. We want to be in the Father. We want to be in that light because in Him is no darkness at all. And the apostles, our Christianity, is the representation of that God of light. And He wants us to find that, be in that, and live in that. That's what we're about. And it is righteousness. So this problem of loving the world and loving the things in the world is sort of a critical thing to process. How do I still enjoy my breakfast? Because Lucky Charms are really good. Not good for you. They're horrible for you. But they have marshmallows in them. I don't know who thought of that, but they should go to heaven. Because they thought that not only you could coat the cereal with sugar, you could then put sh chunks of sugar with nothing else, not even oats, to you know, make it look healthy. Just Puffs of sugar, colored brightly, it's wonderful. Or Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts are good, too. How do we look at this love? How do we look at this thing that we're told not to do? I'm given a clear command. Do not love the world. Do not love the things in the world. And then it points out what the things are, and we go run off and ban the things rather than saying, do I love them? Because I know that it's autonomous from God. It's operating on a different system. It's operating on a system that serves its own interest because it is truly autonomous. And it's fading, passing, futile, ending. The hint is, in the last part of the last verse there, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It makes us synonymous doing the will of God 
is synonymous to doing the will of the world. Because that's what this love is. I don't know if you've ever looked this passage up. For Christians who think the word agape is Christian love, it ain't Christian love. Okay? We use it a lot in Christian circles. But John uses it here for do not love the world. Do not agape the world. What is it what does it mean in that regard? Or what it means when I love God or I love my Christian neighbor. I'm, I, I'm, I am loving them. I'm facing them. I'm not hating them. I'm stepping towards them. I'm in service to them. I step towards God. I bow the knee. I step towards my brother. I serve. That's the nature of our love. And I may not do that with my urge, my art, or my ambition. As soon as you love the world, the love for the Father is not in you. As soon as I step out into my life and say, I am going to be obedient to the autonomous urge of ambition or art or urge. In this world, I'm going to be obedient to it. Because what, and what happens then? You marry a Buddhist. You are dishonest in your dealings because money is important or you become all arrogant and proud or you think art is everything because it's so wonderful you start acting as if they were your gods directing you in life and they're just darkness not because they're necessarily evil but because the evil was you obeying it the evil was you doing the will of your urge doing the will of your art, doing the will of your ambition. You were told not to love them. There they sit, gifts of God in this world, autonomous from him. There they sit, fading in their claims, and yet you decided you were going to obey them. And if you obey them, you cannot obey the Father, period. Because no one can serve two masters, right? You cannot serve God and mammon. What you obey, what you choose, what, where your will sits. I've been thinking way too much and too many cigars over this concept of will. Um, come over and talk about it sometime. But the nature of inertial forces in life. What is the nature of, what is the nature of will? Where does it go stand? And where it stands determines what you value. What you chose to drive, this physical body is just your automobile, okay? It is nothing more than the stuff your will drives. And so where this stuff is going to be after church is where this stuff, the driver wanted it to be. You'll go get in that Hyundai that needs to be replaced, get in that Hyundai, drive home, because that's where I want to be. Look at who you are. Look at what you're doing. Is it driven in darkness? Do you know where you're going? Do you understand anything? Are, are, are your decisions being made by the sum total of your obedience to your passions? Uh, Tristan read that passage this morning out of James. About following your passions. But that's what makes the world wrong. I have this passage out of uh, 
First Peter 4 on the left-hand side, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same thought, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer by human passions, but by the will of God. The nature of our choices in this world, you need an inertial force to do anything. Okay? To get out of that chair and do anything, you need a reason. It's either going to be authority or habit, something that, that you're not even thinking about it. But if you're thinking about it, it's either going to be your passions, you really want to, because of, of an urge, or um, because you know what's right for you to do, the will of God. So there's a instruction that you should live not by your passions, but by the will of God. Whence comes wars and fightings among you? Is it not your passions that wage war in your members? The calamity, the darkness, all is happening because we have decided to not love the Father. To not, you say, well, well, how do I, well, this is why when various of us go, you know, we ought to be reading our Bibles more. Not because it's devotional, not because Christians should be... I mean, you remember Bill Clinton walking around with a big Bible? You know, the man is a complete toad. But he had a Bible with programs stuck in it. And it was huge, the thing, a wheelbarrow next to it. We're not those kinds of people. We don't fight over translations. We're, um, we want to know what the Lord says because this thing we're about, this thing we're about that they're trying to testify to us, the apostles are trying to testify, that in him is no darkness at all, can only be found if I learn to do the will of God, because that's who abides forever. It says later in the book, over here on the side, I have 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And you know I'm not a legalist. You know I'm not going to give you a list of rules. But you're trying to find the light that he is in, and love him like we love the world, instead of loving the world. I can't have them both. If I want to abide forever. We need to say, this is something we've got to process our way through. What is the will of God? Romans 12.1, you all know the passage. I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Ah, don't love the world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to do the will of God, you have to know that the trigger or the tripwire is there is, is all the desires you naturally have but autonomously have in the world, that is asking you to agape love them, to serve them with your life, to, to, to have your relationships run by your passions, your, your, your uh, decisions run by your passions, your choices run by your passions. When we're told throughout the scriptures that if you were the kind of Christian that you ought to be, you do no longer live by the passions of your former ignorance. You need to prove what is the will of God. You need to say, What's going on here? What, maybe Christianity, maybe not philosophy because there are difficult books, not philosophy because you get to be in the smarty pants club, but philosophy because you need one. 
and you need one that God has taught you. Your study of the Word of God. You need to say, I know that Christianity is about this holiness. And I know this grace has given it to me, but I, don't, I want to have less and less problems with it, not more and more. I want to be able to be in the light and know where I'm going. That means renewed mind. Because that's what will transform you, and that's what will prove what is the will of God. If we don't realize that there is a distinction between the world and God, we don't realize that it's obedience that is calling to us. He who does the will of God is contrary to he who serves in love the world. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of where I am. It's a matter of what I acknowledge as my Lord. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Keep us ever changing. Keep our minds ever reacting to the things we learn in your word. Make us children of it and a blessing to each other. In your son's name, amen.